Board Round, session number 33. The moment you step foot on campus as a medical student, you are gearing up for one of the biggest tests you'll ever have to take, USMLE Step 1 or Comlex Level 1. The medical school headquarters and board vitals are going to help you prepare for your first board exam with questions, pearls of information, and guidance to make sure you have what it takes to score high and match into your specialty of choice. Welcome to Board Rounds. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. And I am joined by none other than Dr. Mike Natter from Board Vitals. If you haven't checked out his amazing artwork on Instagram, go find him. He's Mike.Natter on Instagram. This week, we have a great discussion, a great vignette about a murmur. Dr. Mike Natter back for some more board rounds. Round number two for you. I hope you got some sleep. You're ready to rock for our, our new question today. How you doing? I'm doing well. I got some coffee, less sleep, but we'll make it work. <laughs> Coffee's all you need. You know, I've never had a cup of coffee. Stop it. Ever. I don't believe that. Ever. Yeah. I, I tried cool. a, recently actually tried a Starbucks like cold brew nitro something or other. I'm like, I saw it on Shark Tank. I'm going to try it. <laughs> Somebody had some nitro cold brew. I'm like, I'm going to try it. And I got like three sips in. I'm like, this is disgusting. Why am I drinking this? <laughs> For someone that's not a coffee drinker, I think that's a bold first choice there. I feel like I'd be tachycardic and sweaty after that. <laughs> yeah, no, it was, it was gross. So I stopped and I, I I vowed to myself that I would even, it's just not worth it at this point, right? I'm almost 40 years old. I'm like, I don't need coffee. Yeah, if you got through it this far, you don't need it. But I will say once you're on it, it's it's quite an addiction and I, <laughs> I can't live. I need at least two to three cups a day, if if not yeah. more. That's so it's interesting. My my wife, who's a neurologist, is like, you need caffeine. It's 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 protective for Parkinson's and dementia. Right. And so I, I eat caffeine mints, but I'll eat them like right before I go to bed. It's just caffeine doesn't touch me. It's very weird. That is interesting. Yeah. Huh. Well, so. I, you know, it's funny also the data with the coffee, it seems to to kind of flip flop back and forth. One year they come out, oh, it's going to kill you. One year, <laughs> drink as much as you can. It keeps you alive. So I'm at this point now where I just drink because I enjoy it. And if I don't, yeah. I will fall asleep. There you go. <laughs> All right. Uh, what kind of fun problem do we have today? We have a fun cardiac problem today. Oh, more cardiology stuff. Similar to last week. All right. Go ahead and hit me. I'm going to jump in. We have a lovely 58-year-old male who's presenting for an evaluation of a heart murmur that was recently discovered at a work health fair. His past medical history is remarkable for hypertension and diabetes. He denies chest pain, palpitations, syncope, or dyspnea. Cardiac auscultation reveals a high-pitched, blowing, holosystolic murmur at the apex that radiates toward the axilla. The murmur does not increase with intensity, Sorry, excuse me. The murmur does not increase in intensity with inspiration. What is the most likely diagnosis? Hmm. Why don't you go ahead and read the answer choices while I'm thinking Let's go about through this. it. So the answer choices include A, mitral stenosis, B, ventricular septal defect, C, tricuspid regurgitation, D, aortic stenosis, or E, mitral regurgitation? Ooh. Um, okay. So, <laughs> I got to remember all the heart stuff now. Um, we're taking you back here. We're going way back. Uh, all right. So, just working through the patient again. 
Um, so he has a heart murmur that was discovered at this heart fair or health fair. Health fair. Um, hypertension, no other hypertension and diabetes, no other got big the BDs, issues. Yep. Yeah. Um, the, the sugars and the pressures. Got the sugar. I got the, I got the sugar doc. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a classic. Um, cardiac auscultation. So high pitched blowing holosystolic murmur at the apex so this is one of those things where like first year of medical school, it's like, okay, apex is this valve and, and left side is this valve and right side is this valve. Um, correct. Correct. Yeah. Why don't we, why don't we, why don't we, uh, walk through each term and break down each term. So yeah. when you, when you hear, um, holosystolic. So what does holosystolic mean? So holosystolic. Like, so you hear the sound throughout systole. So it's, it's correct. not, um, uh, it's, it's not going away at any point, increasing, de decreasing. It's just going. Exactly. Very good. And then, like you said, the apex. So the apex is the opposite of the base. And so that's also sometimes confusing for med students because it's almost uh, the opposite of what you look at when you're looking at the heart. So some people yeah. are a little confused by that. So, so where is the apex located? It's actually at the bottom. <laughs> so it's, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> the bo bottom as you're looking at someone, right? It's, it's the, the inferior part of, of the heart. Uh, it's known as the apex. So, um, I'm trying to think if I could remember rib wise, if it's like, uh, like fourth, fifth rib, is that, is that where the apex is typically? Oh, uh, Dr. Gray, I'll be <laughs> honest with you. This is, this is, again, this is a little bit before. So what, what I will also interject now that I'm more in this, in the clinical kind of realm of the end of my residency, while this data is obviously very important, um, this is one small piece of data that we get in a, in a host of others. And yep. so um, that kind of clinical detail or sometimes will uh, not be at the tip of my tongue because it's not necessarily as uh, needed at this point yeah. in my career. <laughs> Would that also be known as the apex of your tongue? Oh, I, I, well, I believe it may. I <laughs> believe it may. <laughs> I think we, we, we invented a new term here. Okay. So holosystolic at the apex, which is the bottom. Correct. Um, and so the, the question I'm trying to remember anatomically, which, which, uh, ventricle is down there. So you, you think of, uh, holosystolic, um, sound is, mm -hmm. is, if it's holosystolic, so systole is the ventricles contracting. And so what we're hearing, uh, just putting it together in my mind, is blood flowing back, right? So regurgitation through either the tricuspid or the mitral valve. Um, Very good. Yeah. So you're, you're isolating this perfectly. And then I want to add one more kind of nice piece of, of uh, Sherlock Holmesian data when you're listening. Typically, wh where you're hearing the sound is the blood coming at you. So if mm -hmm. you're saying that you're hearing blood coming at you at the apex and you're, you just correctly identified the two pot potential yeah, valve, that doesn't make then sense. you kind of know you're working with a regurgitate, regurgitant murmur, right? Because the blood should be going the other way if you're at the apex. If you're at the apex, um, well, it still doesn't make sense, does it? Because the, the atria, unless I'm thinking about this backwards, so the regurgitation is the blood flowing from the ventricle back up into the atria, correct? So correct. It's either mitral or tricuspid based on everything you're saying and the location and what you're, where you're, where you're going from. And now fit in this piece of radiation toward the axilla. What would that make you think? That is where my, my kind of anatomy of the heart and what is, um, 
the the left ventricle versus right ventricle to to make it either tricuspid or mitral. Exactly. I'm trying to I'm trying to re- remember that, and hopefully a medical student listening to this will will have that top of mind. But uh, talk me through that. So uh, basically, yeah, you're thinking more mitral when you're when you and these terms are also very classic kind of textbook terms. And so I would kind of get into the rhythm of when you hear certain terms together in a pattern like this one, it, you want to tether that in your mind to um, a specific type of, of uh, pathology. And so, like you said, when you're thinking radiating toward the axilla in the, in the setting of everything else that's going on, what how how do you put this together? What do you think is going on in terms of our possible answer choices? Um, so in terms of our answer choices, so again, just walking through, I, I'm assuming it's, it's either tricuspid regurge or mitral regurge. So C or E. So I'm going to throw out, uh, mitral stenosis, which is a, mm-hmm. uh, VSD, which is B and aortic mm-hmm. stenosis, which is D. Um, and, and it, it would be for me at, I mean, at this point where I'm at, it would be a 50, 50 guess of, of tricuspid and, and, uh, mitral. And so I, I'd always go with lucky number C <laughs> number, uh, letter C, uh, and move on, which is tricuspid regurge. All right. So I love, I love your logic. I love your reasoning and you narrowed it down. And especially when we're talking about test test, uh, you know, strategies, it's always a good idea to basically do exactly just that narrow down your choices. And then when you get down to it, because of time, you kind of, you, you take a guess in this actual case, this one is going to be E mitral regurgitation. And let's go through why that might be. Okay. So like we said before, we really want to look at pitch, location, timing. We can grade murmurs, uh, where it radiates, so on and so forth. And so in this particular case, um, you're right in saying that we're really dealing with a regurgitant murmur based on what's going on. The question is, and because at the apex, you also correctly identified that it's going to be one of those two valves that's going to be affected. Um, but the murmur of mitral regurgitation specifically, you're going to get this blowing holosystolic sound. And because it's blowing holosystolic and it's radiating to the axilla, that is kind of a pathognomonic mitral regurgitant uh, description. And that's something that is really important that especially med students kind of tether together in their mind. And they say anytime they hear that description, they should pretty much be conjuring a mitral regurgitant murmur. Okay. So I, I see blowing, uh, blowing in mitral. I think bowel movement, and that's that's. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all about mnemonics here, so I'm like, okay, blowing BM mitral done, right? Oh that's, wait, maybe we can can we can we also tether because with 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 BM, I also think of Valsalva, but I don't think that's going to play into this one. Oh, that would be too perfect, wouldn't it? Yeah. Oh. All right. Oh well, I tried. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so it's one of those things I, I think students need to, like if you think of back to the MCAT, right? Long long time ago for you, a long time ago for me. It's like mm-hmm. one of the things, because I do the MCAT podcast is you have to know your amino acids inside and out. You have to know your two little, two letter variations, your one letter variation, your whatever. Um, right. you, you need to know how to draw them and what they look like and are they acidic, are they basic, whatever. And so heart sounds are one of those things that you just need to know inside and out and, and just go with it. And they're really easy points if you think about it, because 
once you, it, it's essentially just memorizing the pattern. And once that's done, um, you, you'll get those points easy. It's unfortunate that that doesn't necessarily correlate clinically once you're really hitting the floors. Um, you know, to pick up these murmurs, it's very difficult. And in isolation, uh, without the rest of the case, you're not necessarily going to make the slam dunk diagnosis. But for your test, at least, it's definitely worth memorizing that. Yeah. All right. So let's go through some of these other ones as far as potentially what we might hear on auscultation. Sure. So let's see. So mitral stenosis. So when you think of stenosis, what does the term stenosis make you think of in general? Like what is going on anatomically? So just a hardened valve, right? Narrowed valve. valve. Yeah. Yeah. So you have more, you have more turbulent flow. This blood is mm-hmm. trying to push through something that's basically closed. There's a closed door kind of. Yep. And so with stenosis, I like to think of a, um, at least, at least when I'm listening to it, I kind of, I imagine the blood is kind of knocking at the door. You hear a very hard clunk, clunk, clunk. And that's very different from a blowing murmur from like a regurgitant type murmur, because that's going to be more of like a whoosh, 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 if that makes sense. Yep. Okay. Um, so yeah, so that's that. Um, what is a, what is a VSD? What is a ventricular septal defect? So septum right in between the two ventricles. So just some defect between the two ventricles, uh, whether it's a a big giving hole or some other uh, defect in there. So what do you suppose is going to happen with blood flow if there's a big gaping hole connecting two chambers that would otherwise not be connected? Uh, Blood's going to go from high pressure to low pressure. Exactly. So you're also going to get these kind of weird, um, especially let's say if it were an ASD, if it was an atria, you typically will hear this machine-like murmur that kind of, uh, I always thought of it sounding kind of like a train going over a bridge over top, like Mm. chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga-chugga. So, I mean, whatever you need to do to to kind of remember these things, but uh, in in terms of a ventricular septal defect, you're going to basically have um, the high pressure, so you're going to have the blood going from the left ventricle into the right ventricle when um, when it really should not be. It should be going up through the aorta at that time. So you'll you'll hear that additional kind of um, extra sound in the heart as well. Okay, uh, where potentially is someone going to hear that on a, a VSD? Yes. So the location um, typically would be kind of in the tricuspid area. Um, but this was also going to be a holosystolic murmur because that makes sense, right? Holosystolic, systole, ventricles contracting. So during that entire contraction, the blood that should be going up through the aorta is also going to be flowing back into that right ventricle through that VSD. Mm-hmm. And so not to be confused with what we just discussed with holosystolic in terms of our mitral regurge. Now, when we say blowing holosystolic um, murmur with the radiation to the axilla, that's going to really differentiate the mitral regurge from your VSD, but don't get caught up in that trap. I'm wondering potentially, so tricuspid regurge and ventricular septal defect are potentially going to sound the same in the same area. Do you have any idea how we differentiate between those two? Actually, I actually am not sure. To be honest okay. with you. <laughs> that's Do you fine. Have any good tips? Um, I don't. I, I'm I'm just trying to think through physiologically what's happening. Um, if if blood is going uh, through a VSD, it obviously depends on how big the VSD is, right? Is there a, a significant decrease maybe in blood pressure? And so you have an increased heart rate. Um, it, you might be I, able I to tell by the grade. Oh, uh, no, no, that wouldn't help either because they can both have different grades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I don't know. Is there some sort of pulmonary uh, effect because of all the extra blood hanging out in the... Yeah, there's definitely... Yeah, there'll definitely be some other... Yeah, I think in isolation, I don't think you'd actually be able to tell the difference just on auscultation. But I think in in the clinical picture, you probably would have different... Yeah, you're right. There would be some pulmonary issues for sure. Yeah. If you're listening to this and you know, this would be a fun little follow-up. Go on, go on to Instagram and and tag Mike and myself and and we'll uh, help Teach each other learn. That's, Teach that's us the, the fun things. part. All the things. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that's VSD, tricuspid regurg we talked about. And then aortic stenosis is obviously a huge one that students need to know about. What are they going to hear there? Yeah. So kind of back to the, my... Um, my discussion before about the idea of stenosis specifically with aortic stenosis. So the, the majority of the, you know, the, um, uh, the moneymaker of the heart, if you will, that left ventricle is generating the most pressure. And that thing is trying to pump blood from your heart to the rest of the body. So then just imagine that that outlet flow where, you know, the aorta, the aortic uh, valve is, is getting really stenosed. You're really going to be hearing that smacking of blood up against the, the valve there. So, we're going to hear it's going to be obviously in systole because that's when we're generating that flow that's trying to push the blood out. So it's only in systole. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not necessarily holosystolic though. So you're really only going to hear that murmur right when the blood is smacking up against the uh, the valve there. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the, the best one. And I always found that one to be one of the louder ones depending on how the, the level of stenosis. But you can, you can also see radiation typically. So it can radiate up the carotids. Um, oh, yeah. And you'll notice that as well. You'll hear this kind of reverberation up the carotids when yeah. you have a really bad uh, aortic stenosis. Yeah, that's when the family members are like, I don't think the med student knows how to use their stethoscope. They're listening on a neck. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think there's also some fun, uh, there's some some other fun uh, physical exam findings that are worth kind of looking into as well with uh, with AS. I mean, all of these have some fun ones, but uh, all these, uh, you know, old white doctors like to put their names on things and there's a bunch of those. Yeah. Okay. Anything else we need to know about? Um, I think that might be it, but I do want to make the point. Um, maybe it's because of, I'm a little bit biased that I'm, I'm in my clinical years and I'm at the end of residency, but it's for these tests, you know, they are asking you things in isolation, but always keep in mind that the patient is a, is a holistic person. You know, there's, there's other aspects that you're going to have to get information from in order to really make a diagnosis. And so unfortunately we're kind of, um, siloed into this part of our career where you have to take these tests that are not necessarily um, looking at the patient as a whole and getting the diagnosis as you should. I, I want to follow up on that real quick. It's something I talk a lot about with the MCAT and students kind of lose their way with the MCATs and and kind of put their head down and forget about why they're doing this. And And I have a feeling the same thing happens with step one and level one is Students are are typically given four to six weeks nowadays from schools and they put their head down and they're studying 24 hours a day trying to mm-hmm. maximize their score. What kind of advice would you have for someone to actually make sure that they understand, right? Looking through the question and understanding there there is a real patient behind there. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a true phenomenon. I, I mean, I remember vividly you know, I, I called it uh, lovingly my my study dungeon. I would go into the <laughs> hole. Uh, you know, there was no windows and I would sit there for, you know, whatever, 12, 13, 14 hours a day, just cramming all this knowledge. And what I found helpful is every time I did a question or every time I was uh, kind of going over something, I always asked myself why. So why is it that with ASD or VSD, you, you know, you have this or why is it with uh, a, you know, AS this happens? And then that, that 
every time you ask why, you get a deeper level of understanding. And then the last why should be, why is this going to affect my patient? How is this going to affect my patient? And so when you kind of use a narrative and use a story, I think the human mind and memory works much better in terms of um, kind of ingraining that information, but then also being able to retrieve it appropriately. All right. So there you have it. Some murmur, murmurations, something like that. (laughs) Hopefully helping you on your test prep for step one or level one, or maybe even you found this studying for your shelf exam or something like that. You thought you would check it out. However you found us, thank you for taking the time to listen. Hopefully you learned something, something that you can take to your board exam or whatever exam you are studying for. I encourage you to go check out boardvitals.com. They have an amazing QBank that's going to help you prepare for your step one or level one exam. Studies have shown the more questions that you do for your test prep for step one or level one, the better you will do on your test. Go out there, get that experience, dive into the amazing QBank that Board Vitals has with their great questions and great explanations. Again, that's boardvitals.com. Use the promo code BOARDROUNDS, all one word, at boardvitals.com to save 15% off. Hope you enjoy your day. Thank you again for taking some time to listen and we'll see you next week here on Board Rounds. This is MedEd Media.